cut the tension with a knife in Absolutely here. Absolutely not. I had a good bowl of Lucky Charms today, and you ruined it with your bad attitude. I have a great attitude today. I have a great. You eat Lucky Charms? I do. They're awesome. They're magically Don't delicious. Don't tell anybody. You know oh, they are. They, they're tremendous. I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I'm always when I when I go to the grocery store, my my wife. I'm like, do you think people just think I'm buying this for my son? Because <laughs> I buy it for me. I mean, listen. I remember back in the day when Lucky Charms was really really something. When they used honest to goodness marshmallows. Now it's the fake stuff that they. You're not going to ruin it for me, Jeff. You, you like will Count not. Chocula? You will not ruin it for me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, you won't. See, I'm 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 at that age where. The only breakfast cereal you consume has to have bran in it. Oh uh, well, you have to. Yeah, I'm still ripped. I'm still at the. I'm in the. I'm in my prime, so I can have a little lucky charm occasionally. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine you sitting Birthday down. Birthday suit, big in the morning. Ass, yeah, just wake up, get my lucky charm with a. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just put a little milk in there. I'm ready. I did, and then I think about what I want to say to you, on the air. Bring in Dan Shulman, Blue Jays announcer. Sorry, but that uh, that must be. I will a, never apologize for a, my lucky charm. That must be a horrible vision, Dan Ever. Parker, in the morning in the nude eating Actually, a bowl a- of lucky charms. Well, I just got clicked in like eight seconds ago. I heard the lucky charms part. I had not heard the nude part, so you could have spared me that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You're about welcome. That. I'll be here all week. <laughs> not if you keep talking about that's, like that, you won't. That's a great point. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, hey, hey, Dan, what are we going to do about the Blue Jays and their their lack of offense? Uh, what are we going to do? Like, should we fire somebody? <laughs> no, I don't okay. think you should fire somebody. So, but it is. I still don't think it's um, it's not panic button time, in, in my opinion. Uh, I want to see how they – and I heard you guys – I was driving around running some errands, so I heard you guys talking. I heard Kevin talking about, you know, Cincinnati's bringing in velocity and sliders and all that, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's true. Like, at some point – it's still pretty early, but if this is still going on in three, four weeks, I don't think it's early anymore. I think they've got to break out of it. And, and I, I don't know. I'm not smart. Like, you know, smart people are being hired to do these things, and – and I'm not among them. I'm not sure what's what's going on. Um, you know, Teoscar doesn't look right. Guriel doesn't look right. Some guys are coming around, but no, other than Espinal, nobody is overachieving. And, and I don't even know if we should say he's overachieving. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not fair to him. But nobody is crushing it right now. Like Springer's doing well, and, you know, Vladdy's getting his hits, and Kirk is heated up, and Bichette's heated up, but nobody's on a tear. Like, when's the last time... Somebody on this team was on a tear. I don't know if it's happened this year yet, and and I don't I don't know what the answer is, Jeff. Honestly, I, I think you know, and I know how Charlie feels. They've done it before; they'll do it again. He believes in them, but it's got to happen in the next two three weeks. I think uh, otherwise, you have to start thinking about whether it's a trade or a call up, or you can only juggle the lineup so many times. Yeah, listen, I mean, you're absolutely right. I I can't remember the last time. I know Vladdy's got a hitting streak going, but it is the least. Every I'm not going to say it's the least impressive streak I've seen, but it's let's just say it's not overwhelming. It's not it's not American League Player of the Month uh, hitting streak caliber. No, it's singles. It's which is not Vladdy. So I, I know I, I dug into something yesterday, and we didn't put it on the air. I'm going to ask if we can do it on Friday. Um, is how he's being pitched. There's no question he's being pitched differently. Way fewer pitches on the inner third, way more pitches on the outer third and off the outside corner. And maybe this is, 
you know, they sense a weakness there. Maybe this is it's harder to hit the ball out to the opposite field this year, even if you're mm-hmm. Vladdy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think teams are saying to the Blue Jays, go ahead. You, you got two choices. You can try to hit home runs to the opposite field, but we think you're going to roll over a bunch. And this team rolls over a bunch. They really, really do. And, and I still feel, and I'm sure I'm wrong, I still feel when it's eight righties or nine righties that a pitcher can kind of get, if a pitcher's in a groove, and Kevin, tell me if I'm wrong. Not that it doesn't matter who the guy in the box is, but when he's always standing on the same side, mm-hmm. the pitcher's always throwing to the same target, the catcher's always moving to the outside corner for the slider or the two-seamer or whatever. And I think pitchers can get in a groove when it's righty after righty after righty sometimes. You know, you know Dan, it's more, it's more for me anyway. It's how you get those righties out. You know, it, it's basically a way with a fastball or a backdoor cutter from a, yep. from, you know, from a righty. Uh, occasionally that lefty can do the same thing. And it's the slider away. It's, it's rarely that a guy you may have to pitch into who can handle the ball away, or it's rare that you know the, the Matt Chapmans of the world, I guess they're trying to get him up, so he's the one little different right. sort of way you're getting a certain guy out. But I just see a bunch of guys trying too hard. And I remember when I played, Dan, and I know you've been around forever and you've talked to a lot of managers, some good managers. I just don't know how Charlie can either have conversation. I don't even know if that works. I know when I played, managers try to come up to you and tell you, don't try so hard. You, you turn around and look at them like they got four heads. Like right. That's just not going to work. And you see the guys that matter the most on this team, at least in the lineup, they're trying too hard. You see Vladdy expanding. He's trying to do too much. And, and I just don't know how you get out of that. You know, you know, it's funny, and, and even within last night's game, so in the first at-bat, Vladdy hit a ground ball to short, and I think it was a change-up away. You have a great memory for this stuff, Kevin, so you'd be able to tell me. I think it was a change-up away that he got from Gonzalez. And you know what Marco Gonzalez is trying to do. He's trying to Ryan Yarbrough, uh, Hyunjin Ryuyu, right? I mean, that's the same kind of stuff. Then Vladdy came up with the bases loaded in whatever inning it was, was his second time. I thought he had an unbelievable plate appearance. And I know it might have been strike two, not ball four, and I don't care. I thought in that second plate appearance, he said to himself, I'm not going to help him. I'm not going to chase. And he took the walk. And I thought it was great. Uh, but then Teoscar came up and did not have a great at bat. He rolled over and hit a ground ball to short um, on a change up away. And then Vladdy came up his third time and hit a line drive to third. It, uh, he hit it hard, not like, you know, 118-mile-an-hour Vladdy hard, but he hit it hard, and Suarez makes a leaping catch. And, and if I'm Vladdy, I'm, I'm sure I'm saying to myself, what do I got to do? You know, and, and I, I think because, you know, last year, even if they had a rough couple of days, they could say, well, before that and before that and before that, we were hot, and we're going to get hot again, and I'm going to get hot again. They don't have a, they don't have those recent memories to fall, you know, to fall back on. I, it, it's a little more distant. It's last year, really, since they were hot. So I'm, you know, it, it it it's totally they're human beings. It's totally normal to me that if they're pressing or frustrated or whatever, and it's so hard to string hits together. And now with the dead and ball, it's so it's harder to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And this team relies on hitting the ball out of the ballpark. That's what they do. Um, you know, they, you get a hit and you knock one out and you score two or three runs. So I, I, I'm sure they're frustrated. I, I just don't know what they do. Like moving Vladdy to two and Bo to four. Okay. Moving Kirk to five and Guriel to seven. Okay. But at the end of the day, the guys they have, just have to do better, and it's really up to Guillermo Martinez and Hunter Mentz and Dave Hudgens and those guys to try to figure it out. Yeah, you made a great point about moving hitters around in the lineup, and one of the things you know that I was told out at the ballpark the past couple of days, because Kevin and I have talked about this, is 
yeah, you do that, but it's it's a lot easier to do that when one of the guys you're moving is on a bit of a roll. Like Bo is Bo is kind of found his footing, but mm-hmm. it, it, kind of juggling the lineup around because four guys are scuffling. It, you know, that's not always a good thing to do. No, uh, and you know, if you want to fall back on certain things and try to find reasons for optimism. You can find them. You can look at exit velocity. You can look at hard hit percentage. You can look at those things. I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. have talked about it. They're fourth in baseball in this and eighth in baseball in that and so forth. Um, but the overall numbers just aren't computing. And a lot of that is the runners in scoring position. And I know it's a monotonous conversation for all of us to have and for people to listen to. But if you hit 190 with runners in scoring position, it's really hard to win games. It yeah. just is. You know, you, you don't have to hit 290, but you've got to find a way to hit 230 or 240 or, or, or something like that. And, and I think they'll get there. To me, it, it's I, I don't know how much of this is they're pressing, so it's mental. Or um, are there, are, you know, is it swing mechanics? That's your department, Kevin. I, I don't know. You, you know, is... To me, it looks more like approach and, and mental stuff than mechanical stuff. I, I don't know how you feel. And, and even if guys say, I don't listen to the radio, I don't watch TV, I don't go mm-hmm. on the Internet, everybody knows what everybody's talking about. And, mm-hmm. and, and these guys feel the weight. They know they're supposed to be swinging the bats better. Um, the good news is they're 20 and 18. You know, they could be 15 and 23. That's not inconceivable with all the one-run wins they had early in the year. If the And I know it's a silly thing to say 38 games into the season, but if the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. As, as, as many things have gone wrong, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're where they need, like they haven't buried themselves, I guess is what I'm saying. And we know the schedule gets easier. We all understand that. But I, I do think there's got to be a jolt on this team. And I, I would love to see, you know, last year, I can't remember who, who came first, Simber or Richards, but one, it was early, right? It was June, early it was June. June. Yes. Yeah. And, and both of them came within about a week, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see a jolt. And I think the jolt's got to be on the offensive side. I, I'd love to see them go out and get a bat because they, they've got that DH spot to play with. They wrote, whether it's Kirk or, or Vladdy or Springer or whatever, they rotate guys through there. So I think you can go out and get, kind of whatever guy you want. It doesn't really matter what position he plays because I think you can you can make it work. But I, I'd, I'd love to see a jolt of some kind on the trade market. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I feel the same way that you guys feel. It just gets back to the when I was listening to you talk about the mental or the mechanics part of it. Well, I, again, I, I throw this back around to when I was struggling. I, it, it, mainly when you are a big leaguer and you've had success at the big league level, which most of the main guys that are at the top of the order have done that. They know what it tastes like. They know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. So it's not mechanics now. Now it's a mental part of, if I know they're hitting a buck 90 with runners in scoring position, you don't think Springer knows that. You don't think Bo knows right. that. You don't think Bo Flatty knows that and Teoscar and Alejandro Kirk. But I, you you were talking about the jolt and doing something different. And, and I look at Lourdes and I know Lourdes has got the tight hamstring and this may help a little bit by sort of performance driven. He's seven for his last 52. He's basically fallen off that cliff. Like that's, you know, there's a mental challenge and there's a, a mechanic challenge and then there's falling off a cliff. And I, and I think maybe that might be one of them where, you know, this is sort of performance driven. We're going to play the hot hand. And right now, Toppy gives us a better chance, more professional at bats. Maybe that's where they make it. Yeah, I, I think so. Although I don't know if Toppy is the answer. Like, yeah. like, you know, Tapia is a different guy than he was 
with Colorado. When you've talked about it, we've talked about it. He's trying to get the ball in the air more. He hit the ball on the ground a lot last year. You know, we all, we all understand that. But when the ball's going in the air for him, there hasn't been a lot of success. I, I popped open their baseball reference page as we're talking. Like, Tapia's hitting 225 with a 536 OPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Guriel's got a 606 OPS. Not that that's good, but I'm not sure either one of those guys. Like, Espinal just went out and took the job at second base. He yes. took it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the plan yeah. on opening day was kind of a platoon, and let's see how it goes. And he took it. Um, Tapia hasn't taken anybody's job. And you're right, and, and we all love Lourdes Gurriel, and he was as good a hitter as there was in the American League the last two and a half months of last year, but he's not hitting at all. And, and that's a spot I think about. And it doesn't matter to me if it's a left field or right field, whatever, but, but like a, a outfield is the first thing I think of. If you go out and get an outfielder, um, because Gurriel is struggling and Toppy is struggling, you can find at-bats for a guy out there. You can rotate guys through the DH spot. Maybe that, maybe whoever you get is a guy who can fill in for Springer in center. I, I don't know. Um, you know, the the names are out there. Andrew Benintendi, Ian Happ. We can have the Juan Soto conversation, but I don't think there's a – and I know you're going to have that a little bit later on with Kenny, I think. So uh, that's a whole different conversation. But there are guys out there. But uh, to me, an, an out, a left-hand hitting outfielder – um, and not a guy who relies on hitting the ball over the fence. Just a different, not only if that he's a left-hand hitter instead of right, but a guy who gives them a bit of a different look, who makes a pitcher recalibrate when that guy comes into the box. Like, find somebody who's on base, who can, you know, go first to third. You can do some stuff with, you know, a guy with some athleticism. They have some of that, but but a different-looking hitter in the box. The thing is, even if you get a left-handed batter, I don't know that you're breaking up that top four in the order. So um, unless it's a power guy, maybe you hit him fourth and you drop Teoscar to fifth. Teoscar hit fifth a lot last year. But I think there are some of those guys out there, and there are some teams that are way out of the race already. Like within a couple of weeks, uh, teams love dumping salary and getting prospects these days. They love it when they're out of the race. So I think you could find a, a pretty decent guy in a couple of weeks and, and hopefully not to not have to give up too much from the farm. Yeah, you know, we're, we are going to talk to Kenny about the Juan Soto thing. And, I mean, that's there's so many layers to that. But I, I really believe, you know, and I kind of chuckled when, and you know, Buster reported that an executive, and this isn't taking anything away from Buster, but an executive told him that it was the Padres and the Jays. Well, what do they have in common? Well, we're led to believe that they were the two finalists for Jose Ramirez before Jose Ramirez signed right. uh, his extension with the Guardians. So that suggests to me that those are two teams that thought they had a pressing need. I mean, the, the, I almost get the sense because it doesn't appear as if there was a, a plan B. I almost get the sense, Dan, that the Jays must have thought they were really, really, really close in Ramirez. And the fact that they didn't pull that off, it would stand to reason that they would still be in the market for any left-handed hitter, right? If you're willing to 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 spend or, or to trade as much as you were apparently willing to trade for Ramirez, clearly you view it as an issue. That issue hasn't yep. been addressed. So if I'm, right. if I'm another GM, Ross is the first guy I'm calling. Oh, absolutely. There, there's no question. I mean, everybody knows the Jays are in the contending window. They're aggressive. They've got... They appear to have some money to spend. They've got some good players in the minors. There, there's no question. And, and I think the Jays were right there on Jose Ramirez. If anybody was going to get him, I think it probably um, would, would have been the Blue Jays. One of the issues I have with the Soto deal, so correct me if I'm wrong, he turned down $350 million from Washington, yes. right? So 
if you're the Blue Jays, and he's a free agent after the 24 season, so you got two and a half years right now, two, a little more than two and a half. Do you, with you having to give up what you have to give up, would you be willing to give that up without signing him to a long-term deal? I don't know. That's a, that's a question for the, our bosses, for the Blue Jays, for the Rogers guys yeah. um, to answer. And is he going to accept a deal? Maybe he's just decided, I want to go to free agency. And that, he's well within his rights, you, you know, to do that. But, you know, look at the Blue Jay Major League. If you're dealing him, if you're Washington and you're dealing him, you're in a deep rebuild. You're making a large statement um, if you're dealing Juan Soto. You're not asking for guys who are a year or two away from free agency. You're asking for guys who have just arrived at the Major League level or aren't even here yet. Like you're asking for Moreno and Arelvis Martinez. You know, maybe you take a, a flyer on a Nate Pearson. Mm-hmm. You want Ricky Tiedemann. Like you're you're – you're sweeping the the top of the farm system, just sweeping it clean, I think, yeah, if you're going to go out and get Juan Soto. The, the other guy they have who, as you guys know, is interesting is Josh Bell, mm-hmm. who is having a good year. And, and Josh Bell would help as well. Now, he's a first baseman, and if you get a first baseman, mm-hmm. now your DH spot disappears. So what yeah. do you want to do it, You know, when you want to play George Springer at DH once a week or something like that? So it's... The pieces of the puzzle still on this team, as, as exciting as this team is and talented and fun and all that, the pieces of the puzzle still don't fit together optimally, in, in my opinion. And it's it's a little bit tricky trying to make them fit together. But um, it's certainly you can improve upon it if you go out and, and get a nice complimentary play. Like they got Corey Dickerson last year, and I'm talking about a, a step up from that. You know, if you can get an Andrew Benintendi or somebody like that. Um, but I... I, I you know, you look at the end of the bench, you need 13 position players because after May 30th, you're only allowed 13 pitchers. They've got room to improve uh, on the position player side, and I, I think they'll do it. Yeah, the, the other thing with the – and the only reason that, that the Soto thing kind of made me pause and think is the fact that you do get him for two and a half years. Theoretically, by the end of two and a half years – you know, you're probably going to have to have committed to Vladdy. And I, I can, it kind of fits in with the Vladdy window, I, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Um, but you know, my, my gosh, we're already having this discussion about how Scott Boris is agent too, which is a big deal. Yeah. But yeah. less of a big deal with this team than it was before. Mm-hmm. But I, I just wonder if that's, that would seem to suck up an awful lot of bandwidth having Soto oh. here for two and a half years <laughs> and having not signed Vladdy and having not signed Bo, like that, that's, that's, there's a lot going on there, right, Dan? There, there's, there's a, a lot, lot going, going on, on there. there. Yeah, it, it, you know, I sometimes think that the, that maybe we shouldn't spend a lot of energy on a Bo extension or a Vlad extension now. I don't, I don't know if these guys want to sign extensions. And again, Fair just point. like Soto, they're well within their rights. I, um, to, to be honest with you, I focus all, almost all of my energy just on this window, the next three, four years, yeah. you know, can they, can they win a world series championship in the next three or four years? We have all heard Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins use the word sustainable uh, a million times, right? Like they don't want to win and then crash and burn, win and then crash and burn. They want to be in it all the time. And, and I have no idea if Vladdy and Bo were going to sign long-term extensions in Toronto, but a lot of times if players of their caliber are, they've already done it by this point. Yes. Right? Yes. With each month that you get closer to free agency, I think it's a little bit less likely that they're going to sign. So I, I just kind of focus on the short 
return, the three, mm-hmm. four years, as opposed to are they getting, you know, Bo to sign a Fernando Tatis kind of contract or something like that. But in, um, you know, having missed the playoffs by one game last, we all know they're really good, and we all know they've got a chance to, if you get in, you can win. Look at Atlanta, look at Washington. If you get in, you can win. And, and they've got to do whatever they can to get in. They've got too many good players, and they're too deep into this window already. They're right in the middle of it now. So I think they're going, they're going to go out and do things. Everything we know about this front office the last three years says they will go out and make trades. I don't think anybody should be worried about that. It's just when and our are they able to get somebody that makes them significantly better during the season? Dan, last one before we let you go. Do you think they're happy with Jimmy Garcia? Yes, I do. I, yes. Um, let me ask you, why do you ask that question in particular? I Just because with Jordan Romano, you know, going through what Jordan Romano is going through now, I, I just and when they've been using him, like it's not like, you know, eighth and ninth inning. It's sort of when you give him the ball in the fifth and sixth, sixth inning, you're thinking yeah. to yourself, okay, if he hangs a breaking ball and they take the lead, at least we have a chance. Now, I may be reading way too much into that because sometimes yeah. I got too much time on my hands. <laughs> but it, it is just curious to me that it's sort of all over the map when they're getting him up. Right. So I think at the beginning of the year, and these things change, and it's not like it used to be, but just talk, let's just talk about the right-handers. We'll leave Mays out of it. But um, Romano was one, and I think at the beginning of the year, Jimmy Garcia was two, and Adam Simber was three. Mm-hmm. And I think Simber may have leapfrogged Jimmy. But, like, I've talked to Charlie about Garcia, and I know there are times where it happened a few days ago. I can't remember the game. It was the seventh inning, but it was the top of the order, and here comes Jimmy Garcia because that was when the game needed to be saved. I think, I think that Pete and Charlie both have a lot of confidence in Garcia. I know his strikeout rate and his swing and miss rate. I know those are down, but... Um, I think they've got a ton of faith in him and a ton of faith in Simber. And I think they've got a ton of faith in, in Phelps as well. You know, we never talk yeah. about David Phelps, but I think they've got four guys on the right side they really, really trust. And as you guys know, it's all about trusting guys in the bullpen. Can this guy handle this spot? That having been said, the other thing I think they need and will get is um, a right-handed reliever with swing-and-miss stuff. Not necessarily a guy too close. You've got a closer, assuming he's healthy, in Romano. But you can't have your whole season be, you, you know, go down the tubes if Romano, if something happens to Romano. And I, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't go down the tubes. They've got other good arms. But I think you need to go out and get a legitimate late-inning leverage swing-and-miss right-handed reliever uh, at some point. A guy with velocity. And, and you can find those guys at the trade deadline without giving up too much. So those are the two things I think they need. A left-handed bat, we talked about, just a different look in the lineup, and a, hard, and a hard-throwing right-handed reliever. You can never have enough relievers. Somebody will get hurt, somebody will get roughed up, something will happen, or you know, a starter gets knocked out early. Um, but I, I do think they have a lot of faith in Jimmy Garcia, and I, I think the difference here is maybe Adam Simber just keeps pitching better. and you know, he's, just, he's been great, right? And, and he just keeps climbing up the ladder. Yeah, and I think you know both. You, you look. You've talked to Charlie and Pete. You know how there's something about Adam Simber that inspires confidence. You just, I, you know, yeah, he he has he makes mistakes and gives up home runs, but I never get the sense that calamity's around the corner when he comes in. I just don't. No, I, uh, no, I I think you're right. I, I think he's he's a tough. He's tough for pitchers to deal with. You might see that guy twice a season if you're another yeah, hitter, right? And exactly. he's. 
He's he's the kind of guy where if he showed up on the Rays, you'd go, oh, it makes sense the Rays would get that guy. He's <laughs> a perfect Ray, right? Because he's, he, he's a Razy guy. He, there are two kinds of bullpens. There are Razy bullpens and Yankee bullpens, right? And, yes. and Simber, Simber's a Razy guy. But I do think the Blue Jays need one of those Yankee guys, one of those Yankee type guys. Yeah. Like, go find somebody who yeah. can. The Yankees went out and got Clay Holmes last year from Pittsburgh. I don't know the two minor leaguers they gave up. Maybe they'll turn into something. But Clay Holmes is as nasty as any reliever in the game. I mean, he's that good. And um, it, it's hard to go out and say get somebody that good, but they did it. And, and, and I think the Blue Jays need to go get one power, power arm out of the bullpen, with the caveat being we'd all love that to be Nate Pearson. Yes. Right, and that's how these conversations always always end. We'd love to see Nate Pearson be that guy, and hopefully he starts pitching in games soon, and hopefully in a few weeks he's back in the big leagues and we see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I always kind of remind myself, man, if Nate Pearson and Ryan Brucky could just kind of both figure it out at the same time, um, you'd have answered you'd answer a lot of questions here. Yeah, Merriweather too, right? I yep. mean, an, another power arm, but he's just not missing bats like they hoped he would. So they, you know, some of their... Some of their guys who were supposed to be good in the bullpen, it, 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 and I, I think Barucki's getting there, and I think Barucki's going to be fine. You know, I think Barucki and Mesa, if they're healthy, that's two pretty good guys mm-hmm. from the left side. So, but you know, with Pearson and Merriweather, if either one of those guys had panned out or does pan out, um, you're, you're talking about a different look in the bullpen. But at some point. The stakes are so high. If it's not just like we were talking about offensively, the stakes are, are really high this year. This is not a development year. This is a try to win the World Series year. So if it's not working, you got to go out and find somebody who can help you. Danny, good stuff as always. Thanks so awesome. much for doing this. Thank you. Okay, guys, talk to you again. Take care. That's Dan Shulman, voice of the Blue Jays. And, uh, again, the Jays and the Reds will start a three-game series tomorrow, 7.07, first pitch at the Rogers Center. Mr. Barker and myself will be along for Blue Jays talk after Sunday's game we have two days off allegedly apparently first i've heard of that that no that is not true i've told you that how come i'm always the last one to know what i'm doing here? well if you had if you had <laughs> internet and and would and would, have a and would answer emails not some people don't like to send texts all the time some people like to send emails huh you allegedly I'm sure have an I email over address. it and then Anyhow. read it to its fullest while i was eating my lucky charms probably you just finished telling people you eat Lucky Charms and that you basically have too much time in your hands. You said that today as well. That's fine. Uh, the Major League Draft is, is it June 6th, June 7th. It's coming up anyhow. The uh, Major League Draft is coming up. Uh, Alec Manoa, of course, uh, one of the... Boy, he's going to go down. He's going to go down. I think he may go down as one of the best Blue Jays first round. Blue Jays picks uh, of all time. I mean, I don't want to build him up too much, but it looks that way anyhow. Uh, his process was fascinating. Uh, the entire story around Alec Manoa and, and how he got to the major leagues and his involvement of his family is fascinating. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic did a, uh, did a, a remarkable talk to everybody involved, everybody involved in the drafting and signing of Alec Manoa by the Blue Jays. It is a wonderful story. I mean, if you're already a fan of Manoa, as I'm sure most people are. If you read this story, there's a nugget I'll talk to Kenny about. If you read this story, you'll come away thinking even more of Alec Manoa than you already do. Ken Rosenthal's next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast.
breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's almost time for Barker's Back Lake Bits where you get a chance to ask Kevin Barker anything baseball-related. DMs are open. SN Jeff Blair is my Twitter handle. Um, I know it made me think the draft was in June. I forgot that it's now in July. July 17th to 19th in L.A. this year. But as I mentioned uh, before the break, um, whoever the Jays pick this year, uh, and whoever they pick over the course of the next couple of years, and they've, they've had a fair amount of success as front office and drafting. It's going to be hard to find somebody with the backstory or the story of Alec Manoa. Um, a lot of people have written about how the Jays, you know, their interest in Alec Manoa in college and, and how they followed him and his rapid rise to the majors. And we know the backstory about his mother and, 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 um, you know, as he talks very emotionally about seeing his mother go without food so he and his brother could be fed. Um, but the story that Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic wrote on the just the entire process of drafting Alec Manoa I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm going to bring Ken Rosenthal in. Ken, thanks so much for joining us because I'm trying to explain the, the I'm trying to explain the story because it's about the process, but it's also kind of about just an organization seeing things in a guy that go beyond the analytics and feeling that they've got a special person as well as a special player. And I know that sounds terribly cliche-ish. But I want you to talk about this this scene you paint with Colson Barbich, the uh, the Jay Scout. Uh, the Jays have already made the decision that they're going to take Manoa if it falls to him. But he sees him pitch in a game that they lose, and I'm just I just want you to sort of paint the picture of that scout leaving the ballpark, knowing that the Jays are probably going to draft the guy that he's been all in on, looking behind him, and then seeing what he saw Alec Manoa do. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Well, in that game, West Virginia, Manoa's team, was leading Texas A&M 9-1 in the seventh inning. And the winner was going to advance in the NCAA tournament. This was the regional at Morgantown, West Virginia, the home of the West Virginia team. And they blew the lead. 10-7 in the ninth. The reliever gives up a grand slam. They lose 11-10. It's the last game of Alec Manoa's college career. He didn't pitch in the game. But... The pitcher who did give up that home run was a guy named Sam Kessler. And he and Alec Manoa were friends. Actually, I didn't point that out in the story, but he and Alec Manoa were good friends. And Manoa was the first guy to the mound to console Kessler. He put his arms around him. There's a photo of it that we included a link to in the story. And as the Jay scout, as you mentioned, Colson Barbiche was walking out of the ballpark, he kind of turned around, just took a look, and he noted that Manoa was there just being a great teammate. And as you said, Jeff, you described it well. By then, they had made the decision that if he was available, they were going to take him. This was the day before the draft. But it just reinforced to him what kind of 
teammate Renault was. And when you talk about some of the intangible things, the makeup questions, well, he answered all of them. And that is something that attracted them to him along with his sheer competitive fire, which, of course, Jay's fans have seen now for two years. So, yeah, they considered him a special kid. And clearly he's proven it so far. Tony, the, the quote from Tony LaCava really got my attention. It's hard to find a guy who can compete and be so ferocious on the mound and then be so caring. And I love this word, charismatic as a teammate, because I've been sort of trying to figure out word to describe Alec Manoa. And you, you kind of... You don't want to drop charisma on a guy unless he's been in the league for five or six years. You right. know, it's it's kind of it's like one of those things. But it is it is the perfect word for for Manoa, isn't it? He's I mean he's charismatic. He's a guy you want to like, and that's yeah. I don't know how you quantify that net with analytics or anything, but I just found it such a fascinating story. Like to to. To be a scout and to put all the time and effort you've put into making sure your organization really understands this guy, and you know that you're going to have a sleepless night because the draft's coming around, and you don't know if the guy's going to get to you, and my God, what if he gets to you and flames out and all this? And then you look back there and you see that, and it's just, you've got to feel so good on a human level that when you leave that park. Yeah, I would agree with that. And certainly they knew a lot of other things about Manoa, too, how he gotten into better condition, how he had kind of saved his college career by going to the stretch when he was put to the bullpen and just figured some things out mechanically. And, yeah, it's an organizational effort. And that's something that I don't know that a lot of fans, even media members, understand. When you're talking about a first-round pick, there are a lot of voices in the mix. In fact, a lot more voices than I even referred to in the story. I talked about the main guys. Steve Sanders was the scouting director at the time. Tony Ocava, of course, has been with the Jays for quite some time. He's a vice president. And Barbiche was the area scout. But there were others involved, too, in the evaluation. And, of course, at the end, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have to sign off on it. So when something good happens in the draft, it's an organizational triumph. When something bad happens, and things often do happen in the draft that are not so good, that's an organizational failure at the same level. So to me, the process is fascinating that each team goes through. And I've written other stories about draft processes. And one famous one, of course, is Mike Trout, right? Mike Mm -hmm. Trout went 26th the year he was picked. And why was it that the angels had this insight into him? And there was, there were reasons they, they just had a good evaluation of him better than other teams. He was from the Northeast. He hadn't played as much as some others. And and these things to me are endlessly fascinating about the game. And the Manoa story, Jeff, you can relate to this. I don't know that I intended to necessarily write the story I did, Mm. but I just thought, man, they got that guy at number 11. That's turning out to be a pretty good draft, right? Adley Rushman was number one. Bobby Witt was number two. It looks like it's going to be a good draft. And he went 11. And I was just curious about that, and that's how I kind of just started asking questions and looking into it. Ken, whenever I, whenever I was listening to you talk there, I was thinking of the Marlins and how they've handled their young pitching and, and given out contracts when they probably didn't have to, right? It was the right thing for the organization. It was the right thing for the, for the player. You think that's what the Blue Jays should do with Alec Manoa? He's all of a sudden now one of the faces of the franchise. You know, along with Bo and Vladdy, you look at him as – a Blue Jay. Do you think it's time for the Blue Jays to think about, you know, giving him a deal? 
hadn't even thought of that. It's a little early in his career yeah. to kind of get into that conversation. He's not even close to arbitration eligible no. yet. At some point, yes, that conversation will take place probably as he enters his arbitration years. With pitchers, I don't know that you ever want to get ahead of it too far because they do get hurt, and there's a higher risk of injury than if you're signing, let's say, Bo Bichette to a long-term deal. You feel more confident there. These guys just don't get hurt as much in general. So, yeah, at some point, sure, they'll look at that, but I would expect right now they've got him really at a very low rate for the next couple of years. The pre-arbitration bonus pool that will come with this CBA will help him if he achieves some special things. But I just don't think that they view it as necessarily urgent right now. Yeah, the other the other part of this story that uh, I also and I I mean I I one of the things I want to do a bucket list thing I want to do is I want to spend some time in the Cape Cod League because I've never done it. But the the you whole know what, Jeff, I am I am right there with you. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, but this story with Dennis Cook and, and when Manoa went to pitch for the Chatham Anglers and Cook sort of sensing this mental block with starting and uh, you know again it just kind of. It kind of adds to the story, right? He Manoa ends up hooking up with a guy who understands what he's going through and gets the message through in the right way and sets him on his way. And that's the other thing I like about this story is, yeah, there's a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people along the road gave him good advice. And to his credit, he was open to it, to that advice. Yes, that's very true. And the conversation with Cook was, really revealing because he basically said to Cook, I have this mental block. I can't get past the fourth or fifth inning. Once I do get to that point in the game, I kind of fall apart. And Cook's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you mention a block, if you think you have a mental block, you're blocking yourself. It's on you. And yes, Manoa did take that advice and he did act on it as well as throughout the story, other different parts of it where he was told, Hey, like for instance, by his college coach, you got to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And he eventually lost weight. It took a while for the light bulb to go on, as it often does. He had to get slapped in the face a little bit, like happens to all of us in life, right? Until you learn your lesson. Mm-hmm. But he did. And yeah, those details with Cook were interesting too. They kind of, if you remember Dennis Cook, he wasn't a very prominent reliever, but he pitched like. He was angry almost. Yeah. And he had that intensity about him. And Manoa, too, has a certain intensity about him. And they got along for that reason. You can imagine those two guys kind of hitting it off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ken, I want to I wanna ask you about the Blue Jays. I don't, I don't know where you picked the Blue Jays to finish. But I, I want to ask you, has their slow start changed your thought of how good they are? Or, you know, maybe we thought a little bit too much of them going to the, into the season. It hasn't. And I don't remember where I picked them, but I think I had them pretty well entrenched in a playoff run. Mm-hmm. And frankly, even right now, as badly as things have gone, I believe they're still in position for the third wild card if the season yep. ended today. Yes. So, all right, it's been a disappointing start offensively. But if you look around the league, and I was reading this morning, I read about, try to read about every team every day. They're not the only team Mm -hmm. experiencing this kind of frustration. The Braves, the Tigers, the White Sox. And the White Sox are a team like the Braves that should be a good offensive club. The Tigers thought they would be a better offensive club. So it's still relatively early. We're a quarter of the way through the season. I can't imagine that the Jays are 
going to have this happen the whole year. It just it's inconceivable to me. So I do expect them to live up to the expectations that we all have for them. Now, how it all turns out in the end, who knows? But I don't think this is the team that we're going to see the whole season. They're going to be better. Ken, what's the chances that the Nationals trade Juan Soto? You knew that was coming, right? I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't know. And it's a really interesting question. He's got two-plus years left, right, this year and two more. They are for sale, so you wonder how that might impact it. I'm not sure it does. And then you have a guy who is the equivalent, really, of Flad Jr., right, with their team, except he's the only one. Like with Vlad, you have Bo Bichette, you've got Teoscar, you've got Springer, others around him. Do you want to trade that guy? Well, maybe if you think you can't sign him, and they're not going to sign him because Scott Boris is his agent, and Scott Boris is surely thinking about $400 million and maybe $500 million. So I don't know if you're the Nationals. You can certainly close off the possibility. You have to entertain the possibility. My question is, how the heck will you get anything close to fair value for Juan Soto? Now, I read the article by Buster only yesterday just kind of thinking about this or laying it out there. And it was fair. It was very you know, fair to even raise the question. But he suggested, or at least he just kind of threw out there, if you're the Padres, maybe it's C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore. Those are their two top prospects. Well, there's a website... I don't know what it's called exactly, but it's a trade value simulator. And mm-hmm. you can enter names and the trades will come up whether they're fair or not, at least according to their formula. And Juan Soto's value was twice as high as those guys combined. Yeah. Those are two of the best prospects in the game. So you can do it. I just don't know if you want to do it just yet. Obviously, the value decreases with every day that you have him on your roster. So I just... I have a hard time envisioning it. And I know, obviously, the Jays with their lack of left-handed power (laughs) would be an obvious team here. But what would you have to give up to get him? I I think it would be severe. It probably would be something that would hurt a lot. Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I, I... Look, when I, when I read the story, my first reaction was it makes sense because we know that the... We're led to believe the Padres and the Jays were both... were 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 sort of last in and Jose Ramirez, and that if he hadn't re-signed with yes. the Guardians, yes. he would have gone to one of those two teams. So, okay, clearly those teams are in the market for an impact, you know, left-handed batter, switch hitter, and clearly they're prepared to move minor leaguers to get them. Otherwise, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have been a finalist for the Ramirez thing. But, yeah, I'm with you. I, I kind of sat down and said, okay, that I can see that. But, you know, as much as I love Jose Ramirez... Uh, Juan Soto's 23. Juan Soto's... Yeah. Juan Soto, I I think Juan Soto's younger than Bo Bichette, if I'm not mistaken, by a couple of months. Like, eh, that's... That factors in here, Kenny. I mean, the thing that really disturbs me about the whole idea, this is a potential Hall of Famer. Yeah. Maybe even a likely Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. Jose Ramirez is a really good player, and maybe by the end he'll have Hall of Fame numbers. I'm not sure. He's, it's different. Mm-hmm. Juan Soto is an, a franchise pillar. Yeah. Now, I know Ramirez is for the Guardians, but it's just a different thing. I think people listening would know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, I think so. 
you can trade that guy. And, hey, the Nationals almost traded Bryce Harper. I remember reporting that. It was a mm-hmm. year after it happened. But they were going to trade him to the Astros. That was when he was becoming a free agent. If I were the Nationals, and I'm looking at this, and, I again, I don't know how the sale of the team would figure in, but you've got two and a half years. Well, it's actually more than that right now. Don't you think by 2024 you might be in contention again? Isn't that the mm-hmm. idea here? Yeah. Well, if that's the idea, don't you want Juan Soto on your team? Yeah. And I'm, I know I'm you can you. get four or five players for him, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. Kenny, really good of you to join us. Thanks so much. Terrific uh, insight and really, really good. Real fun article on Alec yeah. Manoa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Ken Rosenthal, The Athletic, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you probably all have subscriptions to The Athletic, to the athletic so you've probably already read this, but if you haven't, uh, this is enough to make, if you don't have one yet, this is enough to make you go out and get one. Like, I cannot oversell this story. It's a good story. Mm-hmm. It's really, 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 really a good story. Uh, we have time for do a, uh, to do our little Barker's Back Leg Bits. It's time for Barker's we'll Back Leg Bits. I don't know who he was praying to, but Barker's like, get up, get out of here. And the guy's right at the fence, like, I got this one, you know. The umpires would throw the balls out, like, hey, Barker's up. Bring in the six balls. We need the dead ones. Bring in the dead ones. Hey, Bark, why don't you just not worry about it? <laughs> yes, yes. That, uh, the lovely and talented John Gibbons mm-hmm. taking us home there. I think we all know that. Uh, yeah, that's true. Why do I even, <laughs> why did I, I didn't need to say that. Nope. Uh, Kareem, I know Kareem, we, uh, Nathu, we've used his questions. He sends in good questions. He said, sometimes you talk about a hitter guessing at the plate. Okay. When, if ever, is it okay to guess? Good question. Middle of the order, bats have to, I think, certain guys who fall in love with secondary pitches and you can have a real good educated guess because you've done your homework off the field and know that a certain guy will throw in certain counts in certain situations, that one pitch and you're hitting in the middle of the order and you've been hammering haters. That for me is a good time to guess, but other times I think it's, it, it's not going to bow well for you. You're going to have some ups and down seasons just because of that reason, because of how hard all these guys throw. And mechanically, I talk about that athletic position all the time. Why you get in an athletic position to hit velocity it allows you to recognize breaking balls earlier because your head's not moving mm. your head's not moving you see the ball out of the hand a little bit better and it allows you to lay off that strike the ball pitch and sometimes it's good sometimes if not most of the time it's bad for me kretnak wants to know and thank you for the kind words about the uh, podcast and the show how much weight do you feel the blue jays brass gives to the high quality of opponent when deciding whether they have a serious problem in their hands Versus allowing them an opportunity to get hot versus some lower quality opponents. It's a real that, that's that's a terrific question because they've had a tough schedule. I mean, I'll turn it over to you. Kevin. I will. I will say it shows you quicker what the issues are. Really? Right. Well, we had no. We we were sort of thinking they they might need a left handed bat. You faced the Yankees bullpen all oh, right out the gate. Now you know you need a left handed bat. Simple for me. Now uh, that that's that is a great point because I know that. You know, one of the things when you hear Ross talk, uh, he does mention that, you know, we've also faced some good pitching and everybody's, I mean, everybody's tipping their cap to everybody. I mean, they just are. I mean, that's baseball. You, you do. You tip Astros your cap got a good everybody. bullpen. They got good starting pitching. But they're, I love that answer. Let, the, the, the Yankees are sort of the same way. The Guardians. This shows you what you're going to face There's in big no games, right? There's no question now that Ross can walk away going big pitcher. I know for a 
fact now that yeah. I need a quality left-handed hitter. Yeah, no, that's a great point and and a, and, and a really good question. And uh, because, great question because a lot of people would view it kind of the the opposite. And here, essentially, what we're saying is, if you were playing these games in September, like the same situations would kind of be there. Yeah, your guys would probably be hitting better. Hopefully, they're hitting better. But teams would still be attacking you. The I same get way. to my decision quicker because I know seeing it, you see the best. You see how they're pitching to some of our best hitters. You see how it looks. You see how it could look if I bring in a quality left-handed hitter. Makes it easier for you to make your decision quicker. Well, and I and I think especially when um, when uh, I th- I think especially when when organizations have expectations on them, you want to know fast. You want to know fast. Last question, Nathan James. Do baseball players ever get complacent with the batting order? No, for the most part, they don't care where they're hitting. I mean, some people take pride in hitting cleanup, and some guy don't like to be rushed. And then there's everybody <laughs> That's else. That's right, yeah. That's it for Blair and Barker. We'll be back tomorrow from 10 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan 360. And, of course, you can always subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please rate and review. Have a great afternoon. Thank you.